CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. Glad you've joined us. Looking forward to being with you, as we always are, for about the next hour as we get together at this time, live radio, answering questions about the Bible from the Bible, looking into current events, and also what we hear in church. Is it even in the Bible at all? If you've got a question you'd like to ask us, you've been reading your Bible, come across a question, someone's asked you something, hey, 8888. Ask CSN. It's toll free. We'd love to talk to you today. We've got some lines open, so you're assured to get on if you call. And so, again, uh, we set this time aside to do this very thing each and every weekday afternoon and uh, love talking to you about the great things of God. Joining me today, special guest and featured CSN speaker, comes on one hour before To Every Man and Answer, John Randall from Calvary Chapel, O.C., South Orange County, down by San Clemente. Hi, and welcome. Mike, great to be with you here today on this Tuesday. hope everybody in the CSN family is doing well. Excited for a good program, some good questions. Love to talk about the Bible. What a blessing. Just kind of middle of the day. Just going to open our Bibles and see what the Lord has to say. I love it. It's great. Yeah, it, it's always good. And, and to see the great things that God does. You know, I, I believe, again, we're living in a very, very unusual time that Jesus spoke of, and I think as many cool things was happening back uh, when when Jesus walked the earth, I think we're starting to see some really amazing biblical prophecies come to fruition right before our eyes. And I think it's really amazing when we stop to think of the incredible odds of Jerusalem ever becoming a city again, let alone the capital of Israel under Jewish control, everything Jesus said would happen in the very last days. He said the generation that sees that will not pass away till all these things are fulfilled, speaking of end-time prophecies and Jerusalem being the key. Now again, Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles till the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Jerusalem is completely under Jewish control today, recognized as the capital of Israel. And I believe, as Jesus said, he looked in a couple of more verses down, the generation that sees these things will not pass away till they're all fulfilled. Friends, we're living in exciting times, and to be about our Father's business, so important in these days. And so, again, if you've got a question you'd like to ask us, 8888-ASK-CSN, or if you just want the numbers, 8888-827-5276, and you can be part of the program today. Now, you know, John, we're looking at so many things. What are you currently teaching in your church there in South Orange County? Well, here at our fellowship, um, on Wednesday nights, we are in the Old Testament, currently going through the book of First Kings. Solomon has just completed the temple and dedicated it unto the Lord. And then on Sunday mornings, we are in the gospel, according to Matthew, actually in the final week of Jesus's life there, Passion Week, a little bit early, but we're there going through the Bible and Jesus is being confronted and examined by the religious leaders and... um 
he is responding to their accusations and silencing his accusers. And um, it's it's just a good time going through the Word of God and a lot of exciting things here. Of course, Easter, Mike, is right around the corner. I mean, we're, I can't yes. believe we're coming Very in. Very early March, this year. Early this year. So we're getting ready for Good Friday. We're getting ready for Easter sunrise and the Easter services. So there's just a lot of exciting. This is an exciting month for us, the month of March. Really looking forward to all the Lord has for us. Amen. So looking forward to uh, finding out more things that God is doing there at your fellowship there at Calvary Chapel, South Orange County, uh, like down by, uh, again, San Clemente. I think you'll enjoy that if you have a chance to visit. Well, let's go ahead and go into the phones. We have April on the line, South Dakota. Hi, and welcome. Hi, Pastor Mike. I'm, my question is in regard to Isaiah 19.23. It speaks of a highway, and I use a Tyndale Bible. It says, in that day, Egypt and Iraq will be connected by a highway, and the Egyptians and the Iraqi will move freely back and forth between their lands, and they shall worship the same God. And it, I was, it says, in that day and in the beginning of Isaiah, referring to right now, is the highway there? Uh, yeah, we, we do find this mentioned. It, it Again, is Isaiah 19.23. And um, your thoughts? Yeah, I was uh, just looking up. The, the, I, I missed the question. It cut out. I, I didn't hear what was what the question was right at the end. It cut out. Um, could you repeat the question, April? If it says in that day there will be that highway connecting Egypt and Iraq, and I just wondered if it's already, if you know if there is a highway connecting Egypt and Iraq. Hmm. That's I believe question. this is probably speaking more of the millennial reign of Christ myself, um, because uh, right now, uh, all these nations, uh, maybe not so much Egypt, but the uh, certainly Iraq, uh, the old Assyrian Empire, uh, very, very hostile towards Israel. Uh, your thoughts? You know, it's it's powerful uh, just to, to see. And, and again, I think when you're reading through, and it's a good point that April makes and question that she asked, because so often when you're reading through the Old Testament prophets, and this comes up more than once, You'll read a sentence or you'll read a few verses and they apply in Isaiah's day prophetically in the near future. And then you'll, you'll just move ahead, maybe a couple more verses or the chapter over, you know, you turn the page and you're like, what? Th this is prophecy in the future fulfillment in the millennial reign or somewhere later on. And um, that happens quite often. And sometimes it's hard to know when, when you're going back and forth. But I would say, you know, that whole section where he's talking about Egypt, it, it's it's amazing what he says about Egypt and almost even more incredible what he says about Assyria. You remember Assyria was that nation that Jonah hated so much in Isaiah's day. Assyria was the one power that was feared by every smaller nation in the Fertile Crescent. And um you know, they, they had this calculated brutality. The Assyrians probably made uh, an object lesson of the people that they conquered and and uh, more than probably any other nation in history. But Egyptians, Babylonians, Persians, they were all capable of, of inhuman acts. But Assyria, I mean, the record for their cruelty is unbelievable. So what, how, how does all this connect? How do they, how do they come? There's going to be some kind of a, a road, a bridge, something that connects the two of them. I, I think perhaps it's probably in the future. Yeah, and I would say, because it says 
Again, if you go down to verse 24, it says, And in that day Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land. I don't know in thinking back any time in Israel's history where this actually uh, became fulfilled. So I would have to say that it is in the future. And we do know that really the land of Israel will extend clear to the Euphrates River during the millennial reign of Christ. And so uh, we do know that God, uh, according to this prophecy, will strike Egypt, but then restore them. In other words, he'll correct them, and they'll be, once again, um, that voice, in, in, and I believe, in the world, and certainly during the millennial reign of Christ. April, I hope that helps. Yes, thank you. All righty. All right, God bless you. We'll stay online, dear. We'll send you out some books, DVDs. I think you'll really enjoy them. The Atheist Delusion by Ray Comfort, new that we're just offering here on CSN for those that call in on Every Man and Answer, as well as the movie Jesus. And we also have God of Wonders, a little book called Time to Grow. I think you'll enjoy that. April, stay online. We'll get you fixed up. Let's go to Michael Keller, Texas. Hi, welcome. Uh, thank you. Thank you for uh, having me. Um, I had a question, and I know it's probably an obvious answer, but why is eternal you know, we inherit eternal life. So, but everyone, correct me if I'm wrong, is going to live forever. Yes. But not everyone will be living uh, in heaven, of course. So, what, why do, why is there so few messages, uh, pastors, that will actually speak about the eternal uh, damnation part of that? of that being alive. I, I know it wouldn't be popular <laughs> because it's not a pleasant thing, but um, is that, is that why you think and, and why, and, and uh, the second part of the question was, if, why is the prosperity gospel so, so prolific, at least in American, uh, um, uh, American messages? Well, sure. It'd be, it's because the Bible says in the last days, they're going to have itching ears and they're going to heap up for themselves teachers that itch those ears. Again, uh, I never need to see pain. I never need to see sorrow. I never need to have a trial. I just use my faith words. I blab it and grab it. I positive confess it, and it's mine. And we don't want to talk about hell because that's so (laughs) negative. Oh, man, it's negative. So you'll find most your cults uh, either speak of annihilation concerning hell Or they'll say that hell doesn't even exist. Or uh, it is um, uh, a a beautiful place. However, the Bible speaks very clearly that uh, not the case. Jesus spoke 11 times in the Gospels about hell. We find that in the book of Jude, they will suffer the vengeance of eternal fire forever those that are in rebellion to God, the idea of annihilation taught by the cults is absolutely ridiculous. They are not reading the Bible. And so uh, the only way they get around this is, one, don't teach the Bible. Number two, rewrite the Bible to suit your own belief. And so we have the New World Version by the Jehovah's Witnesses. We have modernist churches today that don't even teach out of the Bible. They're life coaches or or motivational speaking on Sunday morning. You can do it. 
It's all about you, baby. And it's not. It's all about Jesus. And that's the problem. But you see, in the cults, when you don't believe Jesus Christ is God, you believe he's Michael the archangel, or the half-brother of Lucifer, or or um, uh, just another one of the greats. There was Buddha, Mohammed, Jesus. They're all just really cool dudes. Well, you get into Middle Eastern religion, I'm Jesus, you're Jesus, we're all Jesus. There's a little light inside of all of us that we need to share with the world. This is where all this stuff comes from. Paul warns explicitly about people coming in the last days preaching another Jesus. And of course, with another Jesus comes no eternal damnation. And this is one of the problems. In other words, Jesus is, is um, uh, you know, all-inclusive. All paths lead to the same place. But that's not even what ACDC taught. ACDC, if you remember, said, highway to hell. That's true. That's what the Bible says. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. And so when we understand this idea that um, modernism has replaced biblical Christianity, that there is no eternal punishment for sin, the modernist teachers are saying it's all about you, a positive confess it, uh, all these things. You know, the Bible says the trials of the saints are more precious than gold. Why is it that we don't hear that when you're going through something heavy, it requires you to rely on your dependency upon God? Well, they don't want to teach that. You want to depend upon yourself, man. You can do it. Except that isn't what the Bible says. And I think there's going to be a lot of people that are on their way to hell right now. And the modernist churches, because they're on their high, on the highway to hell, the, the churches are giving them buggy springs for the ride, but not really telling them to repent and turn around. Your thoughts, John? Well, you know, I appreciate the, the question, Michael. I think as a pastor of a church myself and, and know many different pastors, I don't know that many of us think, hey, listen, come to our church. The next six weeks, we're going to talk about hell and damnation. <laughs> uh, it's not usually a, a popular uh, sermon series uh, that we, we go into. However, um, the blessing of teaching through the Bible, that is chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you're not going to miss any of the scriptures. You're going to have to cover the whole Bible. You're not going to be able to avoid passages that are difficult. And the fact is, when you go through the Gospels, you'll discover that Jesus preached more on hell than he did on heaven. And Jesus tells us very clearly in his teachings that hell is eternal. I mean, one example would be Matthew 25, verse 41, where Jesus talks about eternal fire, an unquenchable fire. It's never quenched. So it's 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 forever. And some people think, well, it's not forever. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Um, a man by the name of William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, it was his desire that he said if he had one wish for all those people that he would send out to evangelize, he wished that he could just temporarily for one moment dangle them over the fires of hell so that they could hear the sounds and see the sights, and then he would send them out to evangelize. And I just think that the fact is we, we you know, the devil would love for us to believe there is no hell. There's no, there's no eternal punishment. Come on, that's just something that people make up to scare you. Listen, it's it's a real thing. It's a real place, a real lake of fire. And And to leave out that part of the truth 
is is not to tell the whole truth. There is a real heaven, and Jesus died so that we could go there. He paid the price. But there's also a real hell that if you reject Christ and what he's done on the cross, listen, that's where you end up for eternity. But, of course, Jesus died to keep you from there. So I think, Michael, sometimes we we skip over it because we don't want to offend people. But how much more offensive is it to not tell them the whole truth? That's where that's what's offensive. And God's going to hold pastors accountable for not sharing what the Bible says. And so, no, I, I take that very seriously. Yeah, being out there a few pastors for they're going to endure a, a harder judgment. I believe ministers will be held accountable for what they teach, how they teach. Uh, because again, when when you find that these people mislead millions of people by their lies, by the omission of what the Bible truly says to bring a person who loves God into balance. This is a problem. And so, uh, again, uh, you know, uh, you know, it isn't come to the cross and die, not my will, but thy be not thine be done as, as Paul says. And, and Jesus said, um, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're here to surrender our will to God, not to bend God into being my heavenly Santa Claus, gives me whatever I want, and I just use my magic faith words, which is really, honestly, part of the occult. Now, I'm serious about that. That's the whole reason people get into the occult, is that you can have whatever you want, and you use your incantation, your spells, to get what you want. This is just a modified form of witchcraft. True Christianity is coming to the cross and dying, repenting of living life your way and accepting Christ as Savior. And so, Michael, I agree with you. Why isn't it being taught? It's not popular. It's all about nickels and noses, baby. And if we really tell people the truth, if we start preaching about hell and there might be some some uh, a conviction there by the Holy Spirit, well, they might not come back. And after all, we got to pay for this giant edifice, I mean, this church that we built so we can compromise the gospel so people can feel good about their sin. That is really, friends, uh, an apostate gospel, and it is not what the Bible says. You see, Jesus gave up all of heaven, all the worship of the angels, everything, to become, to come down to this earth, to be born in a dirty manger, and to be rejected of men, and to have his beard pulled out, and people blindfolding and beating him in the face, and shoving a crown of thorns on his head, and mocking him, and spitting on him, and whipping him with 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 a coat of nine tails, and and I don't know what hell is. But whatever it is, it is so bad that Jesus gave up all of heaven to come down here and redeem us. And for people to discount, first of all, what Jesus did on the cross for us, and two, to discount what hell is that Jesus paid the price to keep us out of, I believe there's going to be some severe judgment for these people that come on TV and smile so sweetly at you. You're good. You're real good. Be careful, friends. The Bible says, we're in, we're desperate sinners in need of a savior. And when God gets a hold of us, man, I'll tell you that Holy Spirit motivates us to get out, go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Michael, I hope that helps. It does. Thank you very much again, pastors. God bless you. Stay online. Send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs. I think you'll really enjoy great for evangelism. And so uh, we'll get those out to you and uh, you can share them with your friends. 
God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Doug, Napa, Idaho. Hi, welcome. Hi, gentlemen. Thank you very much for taking my call. Uh, my question is is difficult, but pretty simple. Um, in the Bible, it says that, we're, and, and your previous conversation was an excellent example. But in the Bible, it says that God will be known by his name. It's been recorded, yod heh vav um, But what is it that we actually call God? What do we call Jesus? You know, his name is Yeshua, um, but we have been calling him Jesus. Are we going to be held accountable for that? And and versus, you know, Yehovah, uh, Yahweh, <laughs> That that's really where I'm going. Yeah, no, I understand, and I I think it depends on the relationship you have with God. You see, I don't I don't call God by Yahweh. I don't call him by Jehovah. I call him Daddy. I call him Father. Jesus said, "When you pray." Now, remember, Jesus is who says this, not somebody on the internet or whatever. Unless you pray in Yahweh's name, God will not hear you. That just shows their complete ignorance of God's word. The Bible says, when you pray, Jesus says, pray in this manner, our Father, which art in heaven. Now, if you're a born-again Christian, he's your daddy. I have never, ever called my father Mr. Kessler, ever in my life. Never. He was always dad. Now, I think for people who don't know God, well, yeah, maybe you better use Yahweh or Jehovah or something else because it simply says you don't know, you don't have a personal relationship with God. Because if you did, you wouldn't you wouldn't be calling him uh, Mr. God, Mr. Yahweh, Mr. Jehovah. No, I call him Daddy. Paul says the same things, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So I think for the believer, especially, we have that relationship with God. Now, I think it's important as an example, and especially in, in, in pantheistic societies that are around the world today, because they'll say and use the term God, but in the cults and in foreign religions, you never find this father-child relationship that you find in the Bible. It's always God must be appeased by burning incense. Uh, by, by, uh, you know, crawling up the Sistine Chapel on broken glass, on bare knees, something to appease God. No, maybe, maybe you need to use the name Yahweh there, uh, for somebody that's coming to God. Yeah, that might be. But for a believer, if somebody's addressing God by, uh, his first name, it would tell me that that's either a strained relationship with God or a non-existent relationship with God, because I know him as daddy. You see, the Bible says we're his children. And I take that very seriously, that no other religion in the world offers that kind of relationship with a true and living God. Not like Mormonism that believe that the God, when you, when you talk to a Mormon, remember this, they believe God that they serve and worship, they call Lord, is Adam, who fell in the garden after eating the forbidden fruit. That's right. So they use the same words that we do, as cults do, but with different meanings. But when I say Father, I'm saying Father not to Adam. I'm saying Father to the God who created all things. And because of that, 
I don't use the term Mr. God, just like I didn't use the term Mr. Kessler when I was a child speaking to my dad. And I believe that is the determination, Doug. And so I hear so many people get hung up on this, and they're just screaming, I don't know God. I don't know God. I know him by Yahweh. I know him by Jehovah. No, you don't know him as daddy. Because if you did, you wouldn't be talking like that. Your thoughts, John? You know, Jesus said in John chapter 14, in verses 13 and 14, he said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So we pray to our Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus. And that is the authority of. Then that's how we pray. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 14. And I think it's important to understand that. I, I think I, I've also run into people who say, well, you, you know what? How, you're supposed to call him Yeshua. I don't, I don't speak Hebrew. I speak English. I, I you know, I call him Jesus and, and I don't mind. And, and, and there's not a problem. He is the name above every name that the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. So, I don't mind using the name Jesus. That's who he's my savior. He's my king. And it's hard to, Mike, you think these three are one, you know, trying to understand yep. how this works. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and yet these three are one. But but I wouldn't get um, you know, tripped up. Sometimes people think, Well, am I saying this right? Am I doing this right? What if I said Jesus? I didn't say Father. Did he hear me? Did he not hear me? Listen, pray when you pray, our Father, you know, in the name of Jesus, in the authority of the name of Jesus, and, and we can come before him and um but I sometimes I've seen people too get hung up on the the Hebrew names. Are, are we busted because we didn't use the Hebrew name? And um, I remember a guy we were doing an outreach one time, and he told me, "Hey, Pat, hey, John, um, you know, can you please? There's going to be some Jews here tonight. Can you use the name Yeshua? I said, I'm going to use the name Jesus. That's what it says in the Bible. That's what I'm. That's what I'm going to read. And uh, and and the Lord understands. I hope that helps, Doug. Yeah, it, it does. I I just uh, I know that God wants us to know His name, and that's I guess where I get hung up. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to trying to read the Old Testament, and and uh, you know where He said Jesus talked about the law and the prophets a lot, which is I know a, a, a Jewish term, but you know Jesus was Jewish. So, well, again, you you mentioned the Old Testament. I agree. But you see, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been reconciled to our Father in heaven. What Adam messed up in the garden, the first Adam, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, corrected, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And again, I I, I always want to direct people back to that. Uh, religion, religion screams of, of, of rules and regulations rather than a loving relationship with our Father. And that's why... All the law and the prophets was summarized when Jesus said, love God with your whole mind, soul, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two, and all the law and the prophets. Well, see, we'll be right back. It less, but people are happier with it. That sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. And maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan, double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. 
Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. See what you can save. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. This is the sound of not just one, not just two, but three heartbeats. Heartbeats that were birthed through the ministry of preborn who helped this mother of triplets choose life. The heartbeat of a preborn baby can be heard as early as five weeks on ultrasound. The sound of a heartbeat changes everything. I came seeking termination, but once I got here and I took an ultrasound, I was overjoyed when I found out that I was having three baby boys. Preborn is the country's largest provider of free ultrasounds for moms in crisis. Preborn pregnancy clinics share the heartbeats of those in the greatest need, preborn babies. To learn how you can be a part of rescuing babies' lives, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome me back to Tuesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer with John Rendell. I'm your host, Mike Kessler. And uh, when we went to the break, we were speaking with Doug about uh, how do you address God when you pray? Well, again, going back to the answer, it's how you know him. If you don't know God, you're going to probably use all kinds of things, uh, all kinds of names. But if you know him as your personal Savior, Jesus said, and he's the authority, when you pray, pray in this manner, Mr. God. I beseech thee. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Our Father, which art in heaven. That's the relationship God wants to have with you today. And for all those listening, if you have a religion, you may want to re-examine and see if you really can say, my Father, which art in heaven. Do you have that father-child relationship? You know, it's not Mr. God. It's not, look at how many innocent sticks I have burned Look at the scars on my back. No, it's just simply saying daddy. And uh, that's what makes the difference, friends. And we truly say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, like a good son or daughter would say to their dad. You know, John, I think it's so important that people understand the great love that God has for them, not earned by our works, but something that Jesus gave us that we're clothed in his righteousness. And thus we ask in Jesus' name, but it's still, Father, I ask you this. Mm. Any last thoughts? Yeah, I would agree with you. It's such a blessing to have that kind of relationship because the fact is, I mean, the, the very name of God was unthinkable to the Jews. I mean, you couldn't even utter his name. They wouldn't write it out and, you know, they use the consonants and it was so, and then Jesus comes and says, Hey, listen, when you pray, you can pray our father. That to them was revolutionary. I mean, how could you even say that, you know, for them? And yet Jesus was showing us, we have a relationship with God. What a blessing to be able to approach the throne of grace based on not my performance, 
but on his performance. Now there's reconciliation of a relationship and um, that he can be called father. And uh, the Bible says we haven't received a spirit of adoption. Or pardon me, we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father, that word daddy. That's that that relation, that relationship that we have, that spirit of adoption as we've been brought into the family. What a blessing. Doug, hope that helps. It does. Thank you. I appreciate you. God bless you. Stay on line. Send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs. I think you'll really enjoy, again, enjoying this wonderful father-child relationship that we have in Christ. The sin is gone. We've asked Jesus to take it away, and now we've been adopted into his family. Not by any works that I have done, but what Jesus has done for all of us. God bless you, Doug. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go to little Kevin, Longview, Washington. Hi, welcome. Hi, thanks for taking my call. How may we help? So my question is about a game. Um, so I know some younger people that are playing the, the board game Dungeons and & Dragons. And um, I'm just curious if that's okay or not. You know, I mean, I've, I've heard so many things in on both sides, you know, so I just wanted your take on it. Well, I got a problem with it by just the very nature of the name. Number two, to me, it's a tremendous waste of time that you could be doing something productive, whether going out sharing your faith or mowing the lawn. Uh, to me, so much of the stuff that we do today that has become normal part of our, of our, of our American structure as accepted really is so much a waste of time. Your thoughts, John? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you need to use real caution. There's so much out there, whether it's it's Dungeons and Dragons or some of these video games now that are, I mean, when I was growing up uh, back in the, well, I'm going to say it, back in the 80s, when they first came out with video games, you could barely make out what, what it was you were playing. I mean, it was, I don't know if that's a spaceship or a line. It was Pong. I mean, how do you even, how do you even use this? Now it is so real. It, it's so visible. And you see these kids playing for hours and hours, just constantly shooting and, and firing and all this stuff and, and all of the, the, the wickedness that, that kind of comes in. It just, it, it just desensitizes them and, uh, melts their brain and they start, you know, they can't see anything else but these images. So I think, I think parents have to be really wise and cautious concerning what we put in front of our kids because part of it, we're going to be held responsible for that. So, um, I, I, I think even more so I remember growing up and, and even Dungeons and Dragons has been around for a lot of years. I mean, I can remember back when I was in junior high, there's kids playing Dungeons and Dragons, there's devils coming out. I, I, you know, I don't know. My parents never let me play it. And I still, to this day, don't have a desire to play it and never would. And, and I think because of what's attached to it. And so, um, I think you have to be very careful. And, and I think we've just live in a culture that has desensitized us to all things that are occult. They've made it acceptable and welcomed it in to where it's like, ah, it's not a big deal. Don't make, it's not that. And that's exactly what the enemy would want us to think. It's not a big deal. But um, I, th I think it is a big deal. And my, if somebody asked me, do you think my kids should be playing it? I'd probably say, yeah, probably not. You know, there's probably other things they could play. Uh, maybe they could play outside. Could you imagine? I mean, <laughs> they say if you grew up it, during a time when, when Mike, they said if you grew up as a kid and you ended up saying, uh, you know, get out of the street, there's a car coming, th then you grow up at a good time uh, because that's when kids were actually playing outside. Um, and uh and so, yeah, I, th I would avoid those kinds of things that kind of look towards the occult. I'm not really into that. Well, yeah, and it's a gateway into deeper things. And I think this is where a lot of the problems are. So we have to be very, very careful. 
uh, because it seems like the whole design of that, you know, we're not talking about Pac-Man here. We're not talking about that. That was good. These video games, these video games today, they're so real and, and you have a gun and you shoot them and their brains blow up and their brains fly all over the place. It really desensitizes. It really desensitizes, um, us to and our children to life and death. It really desensitizes kids to, to death and the consequences of it. You know, I mean, look what we have today. We have games that show uh, kids killing each other. And then we're all surprised on the news when a kid goes in to an elementary school and shoots their teacher. Monkey see, monkey do. Garbage in, garbage out. And that's where we're at right now as a society. And here's the greatest problem. People in our society, our culture today in America are having trouble discerning fantasy from reality. And so they don't realize that, hey, you just can't take a gun and go out. I read a story about a guy over in Kona that just got in a car and went on a rampage, just driving through, hitting cars, smashing stuff, some 35 cars or some crazy thing like that, just for the thrill of it. You know, when you see this kind of stuff, you realize fantasy is lost in reality now. And reality is lost in fantasy. And so people can't discern anymore. They don't know truth. Because our schools don't teach truth. Our schools teach today what's called relativism. And what that simply is, true is true if it's true to you. So you create your own reality. It's no longer right or wrong. It's how you see it and what's forming their minds. Well, we have a messed up educational system. Everybody knows that. Our prisons are living proof of this. And the second problem is we have we have a godless society that doesn't understand absolutes. So I believe when we really look at this, we, we have a, a combination of many things that are forming uh, the thoughts. So I believe role-playing games, Dungeons and Dragons, um, uh, Warcraft World, there's a lot of them that are out there. I believe these things really are working from the other side. Kevin, I hope that helps. It does. And uh, one of the arguments, too, that I've heard, and this is one of the reasons I've called, because I I wanted to hear your opinions on it, was, um, you know, people saying, well, what is what it might be sin for one may not be sin for another. So I can I can, you know, play the game and enjoy it just as a game. And I'm not going to be drawn into to anything else and and so it's okay for me to play um however when i so i also grew up in the 80s and i i i tried dungeons and dragons when i was in high school a couple times and it was my best friend's older brother who was the one that was really into playing it and him and his friends um had gotten or he had gotten a book it was called the encyclopedia of witchcraft and they um they started doing um seances and stuff and weird stuff started happening around their house and so oh yeah yeah and and that's what it is just what i said relativism i mean i mean well what's wrong for me may not be wrong for you so that is what then true is true if it's true to you it's pure relativism 
no absolutes. And so this is extremely dangerous. And here's why it's really dangerous. It's dangerous for any culture, any society, and any adaptive behavior that we find in our lives when we bring that into a marriage or raising children or holding a job or making a business. Relativism is extremely dangerous. And the kooks that were back in the 60s that came up with a lot of this stuff, like Charlie Manson and some of these other guys, Charlie Manson believed that the reason people are bad and children are bad is because they've heard negative things in their life. And I knew a girl that at the church that I went to it was kind of a hippie church, and she was part of Charlie Manson's gang. And her child got ripped off by Charlie and put in a metal box out in the desert. So the idea was to kill Sharon Tate, uh, a white movie star, blame it on the black people, create a race war. And then when everybody has killed each other, he was going to emerge out of the Mojave Desert with his super children that have never heard the word no. And now they were going to take over, propagate the earth with positive things. Sounds like a lot of the uh, TV preachers on Sunday morning, doesn't it? Just hear positive things. Well, that was laughed to scorn by all this. Now it's taught as fact in our colleges as normal psychology. True is true if it's true to you. There are no absolutes. There is no God. Your God, do what you want to do. I want to be free. All I want is freedom. Well, when they say that, they're saying, I want to do whatever I want to do. And if murdering the person next door because they their dog barks at night, I, I should be able to do that because that's my reality. That's my freedom without any rules or regulations. Friends, this is what's taught in our schools today. And this is why we have the massive problems that we have. Again, Jesus is the answer. We turn back to him, the way, the truth, and the life. We'll straighten out a lot of our social problems that are plaguing our nation and the world. Kevin, I hope that helps. Stay in line, send you out some books, some DVDs. And again, I think that uh, that should help, okay? Yep, thank you. God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Jeffrey, Mineral Wells, Texas. Hi, welcome. Hello. Hey, guys. Uh, I have a question about uh, Luke 23, 31. Uh, you know, Jesus said is from Jesus' words, and it's just kind of, uh, I found it perplexing for quite a while. I'll see what your thoughts are. But it says, this is as he's on the cross, by the way, and he's being uh, followed by uh, some, you know, has, has some followers following behind, and uh, they're weeping for him. And he says, uh, "For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And, uh, I'd like to know your take on that. What he maybe perhaps what he might have meant because I'm not I don't understand that. And then also, uh, if you have a minute, uh, in uh, Leviticus 13, there's uh, it, it discusses the warp and the woof, the warp and the woof, the warp and the woof. It goes over and over. And it's regarding uh, it's a mosaic law uh, uh, to recognize leprosy uh, early on and report and, and, and go to the priest with it. And I'd like to know your your thoughts on that. I mean, I understand it. If you if you haven't really thought about that before, you may not, you know, may not know. But uh, anyway, there you go. I'll just uh, well, I want to step out. Thoughts. 
Well, okay. Let's start, first of all, with uh, Luke 23. And in Luke 23, Jesus is making his way to the cross, as you mentioned, Jeffrey. And <clears throat> there are those that are weeping. He turns to the women that are weeping, say, hey, listen, don't weep for me. And then he makes that statement, um, as, as you mentioned there. And when, when Jesus said, if they do these things, when the tree is green, what will happen when it's, when it's dry? Um, many people believe that this is actually a, almost like a Jewish idiom. And by that meaning, if I, Jesus being the green tree, the innocent one, if I suffer this much and I'm innocent, imagine how much more the guilty are going to suffer. And it seems to be this, this picture that Jesus is drawing when a tree is green, it's young, it's innocent, it's, there's nothing wrong. But when it's dry, I mean, imagine what's going to happen. It seems to be, and I believe it was Arnold Fruchtenbaum that actually gave that as an example of, of a Jewish idiom. And um, Jesus is making a comparison that he is like the green uh, or damp wood and the nation in the future judgment is the dry wood. So this is happening right now. And I'm innocent. Imagine what's going to happen when when judgment comes to those who are guilty, Mike. Amen. I can't add anything to that. Now, your second question. Now, we remember only the priest could, de to, could declare somebody that had leprosy cleansed. And so when Jesus healed the 10 lepers, he said, go show yourself to the priests. Because they had to have, even though Jesus had healed them, they had to have a legal um, document, if you will, saying they were cleansed. And so only one came back and said, thank you. And Jesus said, where are the other nine? Because he noticed that they were unthankful. They didn't even bother to come back and say thanks. Your thoughts, John? Yeah, I mean, uh, leprosy. So the question was, what is the warp and the woof? Uh, that's a really good, uh, <laughs> that's a good question. And, uh, I'm 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 scratching my brain trying to remember uh, what the warp and the, and the woof was uh, in scripture, and it's it escapes me at the moment. What 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 verse and chapter was that, John? I didn't I didn't get that. I didn't get the the verse. Do you, do you have that? I'm Is still that? here. If you can hear me, yeah. yeah what Jeff, verse? Can you hear, me? Can hear you? Yeah. yeah. It's in Leviticus 13. It, the entire chapter basically covers it. Uh, or talks about it, and he mentions the wolf and the wolf, uh, Moses does several times in that chapter. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm just, uh, I mean, I see it as something, you know, having to do with the clothing, that if you see it on your clothing, perhaps, because he goes on to talk about it, if it's on your garment, and then present yourself to the priest. Um, but uh, that's, that's kind of all I could take out of it. But Leviticus 13 is what I'm talking about. And that may take uh, take you guys. I understand if y'all need to take others and study that, and then we can, you know, I can hear, I can listen tomorrow and and see what you have. Yeah, to say. yeah, we'll we'll follow up on that. Um, and uh, John, unless you got any any uh, mighty revelations right now. Yeah, uh, no, I don't. But leprosy was something that uh, definitely was. That whole chapter has to do with leprosy. It's all about how to recognize it, how to identify it, um, what to do when you see it. Um, but the Bible also talks about the fact that what, what do you do when somebody was cured of leprosy? This is the procedure you go through, which, by the way, Mike, is a very interesting study when somebody was actually cured of leprosy, how that there was a sacrifice offered with two birds. And it, it's just this amazing thing that really points to the cleansing and the work of Jesus Christ, even in the Old Testament there in uh, in Leviticus that I've always found uh, to be fascinating. 
Yeah, and, and where this is found is in verse 47, and I'll just read this. Also, if the garment has leprous plague in it, in other words, because it's been against your skin, and usually in leprosy, there would be an oozing, like like kind of a pus, and it, it's talking about this pus or this 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 a discharge from mm-hmm. a leprous sore getting onto your clothes, whether it's a woolen garment or a linen garment, whether it's in the wrap, literally is what it's talking about, or the woof of the linen of the wool. So this is a part of the uh, the skin in which could carry this as well, whether in the leather or in anything made of leather. So on either side of this garment, whether on the inside, the leather side that was cut away from the animal, or on the other side, the wool side, either side of this, you weren't to use it because it would be contaminated. And we know that today. You know, you you see the people come in the hazmat suits. If they've been exposed to something, the last thing they do after they cure the person who's been exposed to some toxic chemical is put their toxic clothes back on them and re-expose them to it. So this is describing the different parts of the garment, uh, uh, whether, whether, in other words, you had to look everywhere for it. Um, uh, some believe that maybe the, the, the wolf part of it was uh, down between the, 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 on the, on the fabric, uh, that where the skin was, how it wouldn't necessarily be on the top of the of the wool but down in the fibers of the wool you had to look all over because again contaminated it could spread to other people john yeah. any last thoughts? yeah yeah that's right and then that thank you for that thank you for getting to that passage and the other thing is once they found it on the garment so it's made of it, that that's what it's referring to the woolen garment or the linen garment the warp and the woof either way those garments were to be burned and they were to be thrown into the fire they were to be consume burn that garment in which is the plague whether warp or wolf wool or in linen or in anything leather leather because it's active leprosy so it had the ability to not only spread to other people but it could get on your garments as mike said contaminated and then they would burn it up right there because you couldn't keep it around any longer that is what the warp and the wolf are uh Jeffrey, great question. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it could be also speaking of the origin of the 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 uh, leather garment as well. They did use wolf skin. They did use other things like this. So that may very well be part of it as well. So hope that helps. Wonderful. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. Stay in line. Send you out some books, DVDs. With that, we will go to Anne, Reno, Nevada. Hi, welcome. Yes. Hello, pastors. My question is regarding Christian nationalism. Um, I've been seeing a lot of discussion lately on social media, uh, probably surrounding, you know, the pro-Palestinian marches and all that. And uh, a lot of people are saying that Christian nationalism is bad and that Christians should stay out of politics or patriotism. I'm not really sure but it's definitely a negative connotation. And I was curious what uh, you have to say about that. Well, of course the devil wants to keep, and and liberals want to keep Christians out. We bring truth in. Now, just look at this. Now, think about this for a minute. Everybody, think about this. 
They're screaming at Israel to cease fire, cease fire, cease fire. Christians are supporting Israel, and and thus our nation primarily does, I think, in a whole. Not one call from Joe Biden, not one call from the United Nations, not one call from the Arab world for Hamas to surrender. Isn't that weird? Hamas is who started the war. Oh, the poor Palestinians, they voted Hamas into office. There are consequences for voting poorly, and they voted poorly. And by the way, so are we. And so we find the insanity going on. This is the problem. And because the American news media, and primarily our government right now, is a banana republic. In other words, there's no real justice. Um, They said that Joe Biden was not mentally fit to stand trial for the crimes that he committed having top-secret documents in his garage. But yet he's mentally fit enough to be the president of the United States and to run again? This is Banana Republic, friends. The whole world sees how stupid our judicial system has become. There is no excuse for this. He's mentally incompetent to stand trial because he committed a crime. Interestingly enough, because he cannot stand uh, for this crime, the crime just goes away. It just vanishes. But he committed a crime, but he's not mentally enough capable of standing trial. Hey, American news media, why isn't that in the paper every day? That we've got somebody declared by the Democratic Party mentally incompetent and yet still fronting him as a potential presidential candidate? Hey, American news media. Hey, CNN, CBS, MSNBC. Why don't you try doing your job? That would be a novel concept for all of us Americans, wouldn't it? But instead, no, they want to pick on the Christian instead. Look over here. Look over here. Don't look at the real issues like people being declared mentally incompetent. But let's focus upon Christians and their stand for Israel and how bad that is and how dare them. Again, not one call for Hamas to surrender. Who started the war? Remember that. This is why the American news media is so rotten deplorable. They have no business even being on the airwaves. They're a total, you know, They everybody talks about, about um, how important electric cars are and electrifying and we need more energy. Well, I'll tell you, we'd save a lot of, a lot of energy in America if we just shut those guys clear off. They don't make any sense anyway. And I heard another thing. It said, you know, if you want to electrify everything, America, you Democrats, How about the uh, southern border fence? Now, there's a thought. Again, when you see these things, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. Work for the night is coming when no one can work. Be about your daddy's business every day. And stay in line. We'll get you fixed up. Thanks, John, for being on. And the rest calls back. We'll put you on first thing tomorrow. God bless you. Good night. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226.
Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 